I've run out of language warnings. There's no way for me to warn people that there might be coarse language in this episode. If you want to make a language warning for me, please send it my way. I'll be very grateful. Until then, from the kitchen table, this is Get Close Panic. This week I had Katie Spain, the editor of Fritz magazine, over to my place for the interview and to try to eat silently while recording. It's a funny thing, meeting someone for the first time at your house is very intimate, but after hearing about Katie's life, it's no surprise it felt comfortable right away. She's made a career out of understanding people and how to talk to them and read them. She's also usually the one on the other side of the mic. I don't know if that makes sense. You can actually record on all sides of most microphones, but you know what I mean. And because of this, she knows how wonderful it is when your guest opens up and is candid. Katie is both candid and reflective. She's honest without bitterness and acknowledges the role her personal life played in her career. It's a big interview and with good reason. Katie's had a big life. I think when I started, it was a combination of knowing that I needed to be here for now. Mm. So, I, and I kind of needed to have flexible time so that I could help out with sort of family responsibilities, but not wanting to go completely stagnant. And the yeah. other thought was that if in the next few years I have to leave Adelaide, mostly probably for work, yeah. I really want to leave. I want to try to do something to kind of better it, yeah. which just sounds very kind of naive, but I thought I should try to do something that has some sort of positive effect, even if it's really minor. Um, And having witnessed so many young women, particularly around me, who were really skilled and really hardworking, intelligent, but just couldn't kind of get out of their shit job or whatever it might be, didn't seem to have the networks that they needed and then had a lot of kind of male friends who just weren't having the same problem um and it really was just a reaction to that to wanting to try to help like provide a bit of a a network and a bit of a resource that's bizarre isn't it i find it's worse in italy too yeah well yeah i've never lived anywhere else so i i think it is because i think it's a smaller pool here yeah but also i think once and I don't know if it's just a, a woman thing but I no I don't think it is I, I think once people are in jobs particularly and I'm talking media but mm. once they're in the media I think here there's not that kind of deep want or need to help other people exceed and rise up the ladder mm-hmm. which I found even in um I've never lived in New York lived in London a long time um and that was great as well but New York I went and just spent some time just to write and stuff people stop you on the street there and like you are literally a stranger um you know you look interesting what are you doing hey hey whatever what can I do to help you wow 
Um, who can I connect you with? Yeah. These are total random strangers. Yeah. Even here with people that um, that are in your network, I don't think there's that. I think it's getting a bit better, but there's not that need for collaboration or yeah. that urge. Or people don't see collaboration often as as um, being mutually helpful. Mm. It's almost like, well, but if I teach you too much, you're going to steal my job. And it's just the worst possible attitude. Absolutely. That's so interesting to hear. One of my friends was living in New York until recently and he was miserable just because he was, you know, poor and it's rough. Um, But there was – he stayed and he just kept staying and it was really hard to get a sense of what was compelling him to keep himself in that situation. Mm. But what he was expressing is a really similar sentiment to that, that the feeling that just being there Mm. you have proximity to – all these great things happening and you have kind of the means if you if you if you take the right path you will eventually find your way into mm. doing what you want to mm. do in a way that he didn't feel he could yeah. access in most other cities yeah. here is often who you know london mm. was the same i always said um, and it was a little bit tongue in cheek but mm. actually i truly believe it mm. being in london I felt that the fact that you'd just been in London and worked, it didn't, I don't think they even really looked at your CV when you got back. I could have been garbage collecting in London and come back and said, I've worked in London. Mm. And it gave just that edge. Yeah, right. I didn't collect garbage, but I worked some <laughs> horrible jobs. <laughs> but you come back and I think just the fact that you've left and come back, yeah. some employers um, had a bit of weight behind it. I don't really? know. It's a tough one. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks for, for being patient on. with me. Our medicine. Do yeah. you not usually do interviews? No, I do them all the time, but it's but um, You're on the other side. Yeah, I'm on the yeah. other side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody's ever interviewed me before, and I imagine I would find it extremely strange. Yeah. I would find it hard to not try to take over, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so when you're ready, just introduce yourself Mm -hmm. um so just who you are and what you do and then we'll go from there I'll prompt you in a work sense yeah Mm. I'm Katie Spain I'm a writer and the editor of Fritz magazine and a national travel magazine called G'day nice perfect okay so just starting wherever you feel is relevant Mm -hmm. when did you start to be interested in in work I grew up on a dairy farm in rural South Australia so I've been covered with a lot of cow poo. <laughs> and um, whenever we were, at the, I grew up as one of four, the eldest of four. Mm-hmm. And on the dairy farm, whenever we looked bored, my dad would make us rub cow poo off the dairy wall. So we learned at a very young age not to look bored um, and even better not to be bored. Mm-hmm. So we adventured a lot. We went out on motorbikes and we, we went bush bashing and uh, I read a lot. And I think that's when my love of words developed and also just imagination as a little kid growing up on a farm um, it was in Meningi in the the southeast of South Australia Mm. in between the lake uh, Lake Albert and the Coorong Mm -hmm. so we had a lot of freedom and my imagination kind of went wild the first time I thought about work I guess in a professional sense Mm. we milked cows in the holidays um, to earn a bit of pocket money so work ethic was it started really early Mm. um my family, I didn't know it at the time, but we didn't have a lot of money. My mum made all our clothes, mm. um, but we were always made to feel 
comfortable. We didn't have to worry about that when we were little. Um, but we always learned that you had to you had to work to get pocket money, basically. Yeah. There wasn't anything to buy in Meningi apart from maybe some lollies down the down yeah. this main street before netball. But um it was when I was I was driving a tractor, I remember it so vividly, driving a tractor doing ploughing for my dad and it's the most boring thing ever. You go mm. around and around in a circle. You have to pay a lot of attention to staying in a straight line. But I'd listened to um, American Rosso on Triple J Radio and I loved them. Um, it was kind of a connection to another world. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I want to be a radio presenter. That's what I want to do. Or I want to be a writer. I wanted to be a travel writer, even though I'd never travelled anywhere at that stage. And... As often happens in, in a rural kind of country area, especially at that age, I was probably, I was 13 because I came to Adelaide for college when I was 14. Mm. I moved away from home. Um, so I was still about 12, 13. And it just seemed like the most kind of pie in the sky, inaccessible job you could ever imagine. Working behind a checkout or pro- milking cows actually was probably more realistic mm. at that stage. But I remember... I saw it, I'd moved to Adelaide by this stage, which was a very traumatic experience. I was a homebody. I didn't want to go, but um, my parents wanted to get some culture into me. So I came up and lived with my grandparents. And we were at the Mitcham local library. And I saw a, it was just a little poster. um, And it was something along the lines of, learn to be a radio presenter. It was a, it was called Sky FM at that stage. It was in the suburbs near Glenside. And I must have just been old enough to go along to the little course and I just did the course and I loved it. And they let us do they let us do like a little kind of mock radio show um, once a week. Nice. I thought I was so cool. Yes. <laughs> but it really taught me a lot. And then just randomly, and by this stage I was at university, someone at a little station called Wow FM um, was listening to Sky because they knew it was closing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ben, his name was, he rang and he said, do you want to... Do you want to fill a slot? It was a crazy late slot. Um, but I said, yeah, and I drove out to Semaphore in my <laughs> beat-up car once a week, did my night slot, and um, I guess that's how a little taste for the media mm. hit a little country girl. So when you were do- you did the course for Sky, did you continue doing work with them after that? No, they closed down. So after we did the course, um, mm-hmm. we had a, a little had a show in the evenings mm-hmm. um, and then they they closed down and then that's when um, Well FM luckily okay, so got in touch. Okay, Nice. Yeah, okay. I don't know if I would have – I probably would have tried to keep it up. I probably wouldn't have known where to or how to. Yeah. But, um, but that was that, – I guess that was my first ever in that media sense kind of – Someone else reaching out and saying, yeah. oh, hey, we, we like what you do. Do you want to keep doing that? Yeah. Um, and I, I still, I never thought it would be a profession and obviously writing is my profession now, but I think it taught me to talk to people yeah. and to interview, yeah. which is, um, it's, it's the, it's the key basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you finished high school. Yeah. What was the, um, how was the decision for you of, how to go into university, what to go into? Um, I I did a lot better in year 12 than I thought I would because yeah. coming from a country school to um, to a city college was a bit of a kind of a harsh slap in the face mm-hmm. as far as reality is concerned. I went from being quite comfortable as a straight-A student in the country mm-hmm. to, whoa, I was getting Ds and um, wasn't as, as good as I'd kind of been built up around mm-hmm. me to believe. 
so I I did extra study. I got I got tutors and all that type of thing. And anyway, cut a long story short, did better than any of us expected after all that trauma of um, moving away from the family. Mm. And I'd done well in information technology. And this is pre, it's going to make me sound really old, but it's <laughs> pre-social media. Yeah. I think I, no, I didn't even have a mobile phone mm. then. None of us did. Um, my computer, I think I only got towards the end of year 12, was mm. a big box of a thing. But we did coding at school and I don't know, I did better in it than I expected. And my grandfather said, oh, information technology is the future. You should, you've got the score, you should study that at Flinders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> I took his advice. I was waiting for that. <laughs> and I was I was one of I think three young ladies in a sea of young men yeah. doing IT. Mm-hmm. Um, which I didn't mind because I've grown up on a dairy farm. I'm actually more comfortable with men than I am with, with um, women sometimes. Um so I was quite comfortable in that environment, but oh my goodness, it was boring. And all I wanted to do was write. But I stuck with it for a year and I did psychology as, um, as kind of my my side subject or whatever yeah. you, whatever it is you call it. God, yeah. it feels so long ago now. Elective. Elective, that's yeah. it. And I realised easily by six months in that it was definitely not what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. But I didn't quit at that stage. I decided to stick with it for a year and I'm really glad I did because the skills, the IT skills I took out of that kind of gave me an edge in a way and carried me through for future jobs. I didn't realise that would happen at the time, but yeah. it was, it was I guess, a period where um, information technology was starting to boom and being able to, it was a MySpace age, being mm-hmm. able to do a bit of coding um, and understand kind of, uh, I guess, CMS systems and things mm-hmm. like that has always been um, just a bit of an edge um, rather than just being able to tap a keyboard and write stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting that you should say that. I've, I keep hearing conversations and having conversations about how it should be a fundamental skill. Everybody should be able to do a little bit of coding now because yeah. it's sort of as relevant as all of our other basic skills are mm. now. Mm. Um, so what happened after you decided to leave that uni program? I, uh, I followed my heart and I went to McGill, um, mm-hmm. UniSA, and I studied um, a degree in professional writing and communication nice. and all I wanted to do was was write mm-hmm. that's kind of it's always been the one thing I've, I've I've just known how to do it and I've been I've enjoyed doing it maybe that's mm-hmm. that's the key really as far as that's concerned um I don't I wasn't particularly good at it then I don't think um but it's I knew it's what I wanted to do yeah um so I studied that that degree I don't know how helpful that degree actually was. When I think back to even assignments I did, I can't remember anything specific. Yeah. Um, I remember linguistics because the, the linguistics <laughs> the linguistics teacher, she was such a cracker and she was so passionate about what she was teaching. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to get into linguistics like this, but if I can enjoy my job as much as this woman does – don't care what I'm going to be paid. It's she satisfying loved it. isn't it? Yes. Oh, the excitement. And she was just, <laughs> she was hilarious. Um, uh, and but, yeah, the rest of the, the subjects, it's kind of embarrassing to say, but I don't remember that much about mm. them. But the main thing that came out of university for me, apart from a, a kind of confidence on a social level, because mm. I was a, a bit of a nerd at school. And I certainly, when I went to, when I came up to college, I went from, 
from having a real network of friends and hierarchy around me from growing up in a, a small country town mm. to the big city where, you know, my, my good outfit was tracky, Adidas tracky pants and matching jumper and shoes. I thought I was so cool. Oh. And then I came, I remember my, my first day and I came in and the girls all had these beautiful dresses and these beautiful RAV4s and it was the first time in my life I thought, I'm different. Now I love that. Now I, difference, um, difference, great. Um, and I think everyone age. should embrace that. But at that age, yeah, it was a horrible, horrible time. Yeah. And you know, as problems go, not fitting in probably isn't the worst of them. But when you're 13, 14, away from your family, it was um, pretty tough. It yeah, it's definitely one of those experiences that is only enjoyed in retrospect. Mm. Yeah, or if you're making a movie about it or something. Absolutely, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to fetishize. Color. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, just before we kind of get too far ahead, you said your parents sent you down to Adelaide, and you feel like that was so you can get a bit of culture. Um, but what do you think they? What do you think they sort of wanted for you? What did you feel like they were encouraging you to do? I feel like they didn't want they didn't want me to stay in the country, mm. um, or at least if I did, they wanted me to experience something else first. Yeah. I, I definitely know they didn't want us to get into dairy farming. It's a really hard yeah. slog um, and very unforgiving, and n- none of us, all four of us, there's three of us girls and, and my brother who came after me, none of us really um, wanted to get into that. We didn't come from a... A generation after generation after generation of farming background. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad was a builder and mum, they both lived in the city before they went to the country. Mm-hmm. So I think they just, I don't know, I think they wanted they wanted me to get a good education yeah. and they probably wanted me to experience the world, yeah. I think, yeah. and not settle down, which I think if I'd stayed in, in Meningi, um, there might have been a chance that I, I, I didn't leave or I just, um, you know, had children and got married, which, as it turned out, I've, I've kind of gone in the total opposite direction. Yeah. That's Neither of those things are on my radar yeah. um, at all. Mm. Um, so did the radio um, presenting, the late-night radio presenting, carry through um, uni? Yeah, it did. I did. I, I presented at Wow FM, which was the other side of town. It's out near Semaphore. It's okay. still there. It's a little brick building. Nice. And you know we had a, a it was quite a late shift. We had a couple of um, couple of listeners who'd called through, and that's all you need, I think, when you're especially when you're just a fledgling at that type of thing. Just to know one person's listening is makes so it exciting. yeah. And <laughs> radio shows are a lot of bloody work to put together. You can't just rock up and Chat. talk. No, um, you can't even just rock up and throw some some um, tracks out to people you, you really need to research you need to have engaging um engaging content now that's that's the buzzword now but yeah you need to you need to really research or it's not it's, it's not worth anyone's time really so I used to go out there and I used to present and then my little brother he was into really heavy rock and roll kind of actually thrash metal so mm-hmm. he'd do a show <laughs> later later in the night and yeah. he plays thrash metal so we both were kind of into it dad's yes. into his music I was more about the talking yeah. and the interviewing. Mm-hmm. Ash was more about the music. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually I went to Europe and, um, yeah, the radio, the little volunteer, it was always volunteer, mm. the volunteer radio shows were always a constant um, throughout my career. Okay. So when, um, when did you go to Europe? 
to finish uni? I was one semester off finishing uni and yeah. I got a scholarship to go to Germany. So when I was at Meningi, we studied German because there was no choice. We There was a German teacher, so that's the language we yeah, got. Of course. Um, I wasn't particularly good at it when I first got up to Adelaide because we had um, – <laughs> I think they could only keep a teacher for a year in the country and then they'd go off and do something else. So yeah. we'd learn the same things basically mm. over and over again. But I kept studying it through through college and then um, at uni also kept up with the German. I'm so glad I did um, because when that scholarship came up, I went for it and I yeah. thought, wow, I yes, I want to, I want out of here. I want to go see the world. Yeah. And that was kind of the ticket to do that. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So you finished your last semester over there? I did. How was it? I remember the first, I'd never left Australia yeah. at this stage. So I hadn't even been on a holiday with my family um, wow. overseas or to, you know, even to New Zealand or not even, we'd been to the snowy mountains or something. Like we, my mum and dad were farmers, so we didn't really get, to go away that much. Yeah. But what we did have was on the farm we'd have exchange students and every single year since I was probably maybe seven or mm. eight, we'd have a couple a year and they'd come from all over the world mm. and they'd stay for nine months to 12 months. And as a young girl, I'd if I'd either fall in love with them, I'd develop mass- massive crushes <laughs> on these beautiful boys <laughs> from all over the world. Yeah, or the women I'd equally fall in love with and just – the food that they cooked and these photos they showed us of places all over the world. Um, I think that might have lit a travel bug in an otherwise home, very much homebody little girl. And it makes sense of you wanting to be a travel writer when you were driving around on your tractor. Yeah. So if you've seen all of these people, you've had this sort of tasting yeah. menu of yeah, people from that's all true. around the world. I never thought of it like that, yeah. but that's true. Mm. Yeah, and they were great, and yeah. and they were like brothers and sisters. My yeah. mum had a pretty much a mental breakdown every time they had to leave. She's a very motherly mother. Yeah. Um. So she she create these amazing bonds with them, and so would we. And then off they'd go back to the faraway corners of the land. But it meant that for us kids in future, we've got brothers and sisters in pretty much most countries around yeah. the world. So traveling, while it was still overwhelming, and I I cried the whole pretty much the whole flight until I fell asleep oh it was it was very traumatic yeah. for a little homebody yeah um I spoke you know I spoke German but I'd never been over there I had mm. I remember even packing I packed this coat from Target that I thought would be really good against the cold but of course it was just a fleecy little yeah. thing and I got there and even just the the difference in the climate and walking off that plane and there was there was another student there to meet me, thank goodness. Yeah. Um, my bags didn't arrive. It's typical first time traveller. Yeah. I was twenty one. My bags didn't arrive. Um, I lost my bank card in the machine as soon as I got there, and my mobile phone was one of those little Nokia bricks, and I couldn't I couldn't even use it over there. It just yeah, it was Murphy's Law. Well. Yeah. 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 It went uphill from there. Is it, it better? It did. I cried a lot, and <laughs> and then I remember there was a tipping point. I left. I think. I was a bit heartbroken too. I left my first kind of, I guess, my first serious boyfriend I left behind. Oh, wow. Um, but that was, that's never been a roadblock. I kind of, I don't know how, but I just, I knew I had to go overseas. Yeah. It was in, it was a gut thing. Mm. And when your gut tells you something so deeply, mm. I don't think you can ignore it. No. Um, yeah, so I left him behind and mm. he came and joined me um, after the seven months, but it was a real growing up period because mm. by the time he got there, I'd realised that um, maybe 
I wasn't as in love with him as I thought. And I think it was more that I didn't need him to survive mm-hmm. and to be something. And so when he came over, um, we're still very good friends, but we went to London together and it just didn't end up working. Mm. So he stayed over there actually. He still lives over there. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it was um, it was a real learning, steep learning curve. Yeah, I bet. Mm. How long did you stay in Europe after that exchange? Six and a half years. Yeah. You moved to London I as well? I moved to London. Yep. Okay. So I really wanted I wanted some I wanted some media experience. Okay. I didn't necessarily know what. Yeah. I wanted it to be somewhere that I could speak the language properly and fluently. Yeah. Because yeah. um, it, it is I studied in Germany but a lot of it did go over my head. It was mm. more of a I look at that as more of a life experience. Mm-hmm. I I got more life experience and I guess connections. And then moved to London without a job. And just thought, I'll find something when I get there. I think I had 500 euros to my name, if that. It gives me such anxiety. (laughs) Nothing. Just nothing. And I lived in this horrible house uh, to begin with with my ex in Stressham Common, which was like the ghettos to this little country kid. I was like, whoa. I loved it. It was terrifying, but I just love being a stranger on new streets. I don't know. It does something for the imagination. Yeah. And yeah. you feel like an adventurer, and I don't. It's very scary, but I always. I think when I'm far away from home, I feel, I feel tougher on the inside in a yes. way. Yes. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. It makes you into a different sort of a person. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how long was it before you had some work? It wasn't too long, actually. I I, my first job there was with a company called Magicalia. Um, And this is where the digital stuff came in handy. Mm -hmm. So they were – digital startups were kind of huge in London or everywhere at that stage. Mm -hmm. And um, I was the editorial assistant Mm -hmm. for Magicalia and they had a portfolio of specialty sporting websites. Your listeners can't see it, but I'm not the sportiest of people. (laughs) Um, I'll I'll give it a go on a dance floor, but I'm not – I'm certainly no runner. Well, I'm yeah. about to give that a go, but I'm I'm, I'm going into that with a very realistic okay. um, mindset that it might not come off well. Um, and I wasn't into golf. Um, I wasn't into running or cycling. So they had all these different websites, yeah. but it had the word editorial in the job description. And yeah. I thought this is going to involve writing a bit. Um, it involved working with the editors of each website mm-hmm. um, and they were gorgeous beautiful old men most of them um or real cycling enthusiasts yeah um and I got to put the newsletter together and I worked for quite a scary woman named Maria who this always happens um there's always there's always someone above you who scares the absolute crap out of you yes there is and then when you prove your worth then generally you'll make that connection with them and then they become your hero and you become friends um and that's what happened but until then she scared she scared the hell out of me and I did that for about a year. Mm-hmm. Most of my jobs in London lasted a year. I didn't stay in them any longer um, than I felt that they were serving me and I was serving okay. them. Yeah. And as soon as I stopped learning or I felt that there was something, that gut feeling told me there's something more, I would move on. Mm-hmm. But while I was at Magicalia, uh, I was always looking on the job websites because I wanted to work for the BBC. That was like... I wanted the BBC on my CV. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, that was almost my tipping point to I, I can't return home to Australia until I have that because that's why I've done all of this. And then a job came up for the BBC. It was a weekend job. 
It was for the Russian department at BBC Caversham, which was an hour's train ride. I remember it was so cold to Reading. And then you'd get a bus out to Caversham, which was kind of, it's almost rural. Um, so I'd do my five-day-a-week London job. As soon as I finished on Friday, I'd get on the train. I'd go out to Reading, so an hour. It'd be pitch black because, of course, winter, London, um, the UK. Mm. And then I'd work in the Russian editorial department, helping them out at the BBC. Um, and I did that for six months, seven what? days a week for six months. What did you help them with at the Russian department? I know I speak no Russian. <laughs> I didn't then and I probably speak even less now, which is <laughs> negative zero. Um, I monitored all of um, all of the feeds that were coming through from Russia. Mm-hmm. Things like filing videotapes, I recorded it all, filing videotapes, um, just helping out. And a lot of it was, there was a lot of downtime mm. in a job like that because you were there like after hours. True. I wrote a lot of letters back home. It yeah. was just, I just had to be there and soak it all up, really. Where did you live over the weekend? They had accommodations, so nice. it was pretty much me and one or two other people. Mm. Um, certainly wasn't a social um, environment at all. Mm. Um, it's pretty lonely, mm. but I just, I knew that it was a six-month position. I knew that I, I would get training, and I got the training program that the BBC did. It was four days intensive for all new staff, so yeah. from all levels. is the most amazing experience of go- going into a new job that I've ever had. You came out of it feeling really proud to work there and really part of something, and yeah. they flew us all to Belfast. So we had four days in Belfast. There was a lot to drink in Guinness, so you really got to connect as well with yeah. your workmates. <laughs> Um, most of them were English mm. um, and they were from all different departments. Mm. So that four days was worth six months of just working seven days a week around the clock. It was so good and I've not encountered a company back here in Australia that has done that as even well. similar. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. What happened after that insane six months? <laughs> <laughs> um, after that I worked for um, a company called lastminute.com mm-hmm. and they still exist. Um, and at the time in London, they were kind of the hub, and they took me on to um, to manage their blogging platform. So it was a time when blogging was just kind of coming in, mm-hmm. and I hadn't done a lot of blogging or anything like that. They just knew I'd worked for a digital company um, and loved writing. Mm. Um, I was doing a little radio show at the time in East London. It was a digital radio station nice. just to keep the interview skills up. Mm. And it was an excuse to interview people too. That's yeah. another thing. Yeah. And lastminute.com was a it was a fun place to work. It was a lot of young people, lots of young men, lots of young women, really kind of equally spread. Mm. Um, lots of characters. They seemed to hire people with a lot of spirit. Mm-hmm. And I worked across the blogging platform um, a lot with the, the kind of travel and accommodation team, um, the music team they did tickets Mm -hmm. um restaurants it was a really broad company Mm. um and theater Mm. so that was where theater kind of kind of came into my world yeah um we started doing backstage blogs for west end theater companies and we made it up as we went along we all kind of were with blogging and we did we did backstage blogs for um, Christian Slater for One Flew Over the Cookie's Nest. Oh, yeah. He was great. You put a camera in his hand and he did it all for you. He did all the backstage filming and he's such a like, um, confident, 
yeah, he'd just yeah he'd go off running and he'd package it up and on it would go to the onto the blog. Ugh. We did Wicked, like really big shows yeah. from, from the states and things with with really big stars that because I think digital was just coming out, yeah. um, everyone wanted to be part of it. Not everyone was proficient in it, so you had access mm. to all these stars. And then they started um, they started wanting extra content, so we got into a bit of film interviewing. Helen Mirren um, was one of them. So she was probably the first big star I interviewed, yeah. surrounded, ironically, by BBC reporters. And I remember getting into the lift and I was so nervous because I'd never done a big interview with a movie star before yeah. and they are pushy in the media over there really pushy especially if you're like a little fledgling pushy with their questions so it's a bit more of a media scrum so we were all in a hotel with Helen and she was great um Stephen Frears was there it was when she was in The Queen yes so he was directing that um and he was there too and he was great he was kind of just gruff director guy but he I remember she she shushed the other journos and said I want a question from you because I hadn't been able to get a word in and um, she gave me that little chance and it was just amazing and it was wow. very generous of yeah. her to do that. But I think she just saw me surrounded by all these gruff guys who'd been in the industry for ages. and Wanted something different. Yeah. 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 I can't yeah. remember what I asked her. I wish I could. Um, I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm sure it was great and insightful. Of course, probably, absolutely. Probably where did you get your amazing ring from? It was, I remember it was like a space station. It was gorgeous. Big diamond. Um, but that's where that... That's where that started, and yeah. we we hosted Q and A's on stage, and just surreal experiences that I feel like I was really lucky to have, and yeah. I was petrified every time um, I did them. But I don't know; it was a chance you can't say no to, so you Absolutely. just got to fake it. You got to not not fake it, but I don't know. You just got to you got to feign the confidence sometimes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely, yeah, definitely had to do that on many occasions. What a diverse experience to get from one job. Yeah, That's it awesome. was. It was mm. an amazing, an amazing place to work, and they weren't afraid to give you opportunities. Mm. Um, there was no kind of holding people back. They, mm. If you were willing to do it and put the time in and and go for it, they they kind of gave you that opportunity. Nice. Yeah. Was that one of your year long jobs? That was that was a bit more than a year, I think. Yeah. And then I got poached across to. A music company, another digital music okay. company yeah. called Seatwave. That one was a bit more challenging. Lastminute.com was uh, very, I guess, loved. You know, it was mm. cheap tickets to things. Yeah. Um, Seatwave was a secondary ticketing company. Okay. So if you think of Ticketmaster, it's a bit like, um, I think it's Viagogo over here. Seatwave's all over now. But yeah. it was that secondary ticket market. So it was quite new. Yeah. There was a lot of kind of negative... Um, reactions about giving scalpers a platform um but yeah it was a it was just a fair and legal way for tickets that had already been bought to then be sold on often at a really high price but over there um people if they really want to see a band will will pay Mm. so my job there was um a lot of writing so writing all the 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 band profile pages and things with seo and all that type of thing was coming in but i was the face for the music industry, I guess, the softened face. Um, so my job was to produce just content mm-hmm. on behalf of the music industry. Mm-hmm. So interviews. I went to music festivals every weekend for, my gosh, the whole time I was there really. It was full on. Um, and, yeah. again, that was working five days a week, 
going to music fests all over Europe, gathering content, interviewing bands and bringing that all back and packaging it up and lots of video. Yeah, it was surreal. Yeah. Yeah, and very tiring. Absolutely. Yeah. We, did you already have a natural inclination toward kind of music as an interest or were you a festival goer already? A bit of both. Yeah, a bit of okay. both. I've always been a music fan, but it's interesting nowadays I, I kind of have moved away from that. Obviously I still interview musicians and, and love interviewing musicians, but I don't think now I could ever just do one niche thing. Yeah, okay. I like to, I like to interview I guess, and tell diverse stories rather than one. So I probably couldn't just do restaurants anymore. Sure. I couldn't just do travel writing. Mm-hmm. It has to be. I like the everyday people now as well as stars can be assholes. <laughs> they really can. Yeah. And particularly some of the indie bands were, um, were really hard work. Um, some were amazing, but, yeah, others were really, really hard work. Yeah. Yeah, it was... It was a fun, surreal, weird world to work in. What happened after that job? What was next for you? After that job, I had my first experience of being made redundant. Actually, my first and only, thank Mm, God. Yeah. Um, Living in London, I'd just been through a breakup, so I got engaged in London to a London boy, man. (laughs) Um, Good. And... (laughs) And so that was all going on in the background, lovely young London man. Um, and we got engaged and we're together for five years and probably engaged for one year. He, he proposed here in Adelaide. Um, but it just wasn't right. Um, and so it was a really horrible time. Um, mm. I moved out from living with him, which was this really safe environment. Um, I had, I guess I had kind of a, bit of a in him a bit of a guardian guardian angel that yeah. looked after me in London and because he was from there he taught me everything yeah yeah I was I was very naive when I first got there and he he I guess showed me London and I still to this day credit him to being a really large part of who and why I am what I am mm-hmm. so then the redundancy happened and it was our whole editorial team and I remember I was called in first and I just remember I was shocked it came out of nowhere and I just remember wanting to be professional but just crying and my boss said, I'm so sorry Um, and got a little redundancy which was probably enough to cover a few months in London and then I just remember going with all my editorial team. We had had one member for pretty much every European country at that stage (laughs) Um, and we all went to the pub Mm. and we just got really drunk. Yeah, what else can you do? Particularly if you've been working all week and at festivals every weekend mm. for the last year, you must be just so profoundly tired. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it was kind of one of those moments of, oh my gosh, who's going to look after me now? I'm going to yeah. have to do this myself. And it was the it was the first time in my life I'd ever once the redundancy money ran out. I've ever I was looking on the on the street for coins. Yeah, it was, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to ask my mum and dad back in Australia for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they while I was away, their marriage broke down. They split, so it just wasn't. I didn't want to lean on them because yeah. their, their world was um, chaos, yeah. total chaos. Yeah. So I did it. Yeah, I did it pretty hard. I partied a lot. I probably mm. didn't react to it in the way I should have, but mm. yeah, self destructed a bit for a while. 
and then just worked freelance for a bit. Okay. Yeah, doing kind of social media type. Right. It was when all that was happening. Yeah. A lot of social stuff, a bit of writing. Mm. I'd been writing a column for the Australian Times newspaper for the whole time I'd been in London pretty much. Right. That was for free. So that okay. was just one of my, like the radio show, that was just a, I'm going to do this because I know this will help me eventually. Yes. Particularly when I, I knew when I came back to Australia that would that would have a bit of weight behind it. Yeah. And um, when I eventually did move back, I, I continued the, the Australian Times column from mm-hmm. afar and wrote from the perspective of an, ex, of an expat who returned home. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I, I fell in love very quickly again in London just before probably eight months before I decided to come back mm-hmm. with a wonderful Spanish man. But the pull to come back to Australia, again, kind of outweighed the relationship for me at that stage. And mm-hmm. I got a job with Nova radio station in right. Sydney. Yeah, okay. So that's what pulled me back in the end. Mm. Um, it's London, I always describe London as a hustle. It was a hustle just to survive over there. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't come back with, with savings or money or I, a lot of experience and a lot mm. of great memories. Mm. But, yeah, almost seven years in London what definitely wasn't. Um, and it never. I never set out for it to be a financial endeavour, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What was the job at Nova? Um, I was their digital editor. So my job, again, this is when kind of Twitter and Facebook and all social media really was just coming to the fore. Mm. Nova has, well, they were just in the the process of launching new websites. So I was in their Sydney headquarters and my job was to basically assist the breakfast show, which was Merrick, Rosso and Kate Ritchie Mm -hmm. at that stage. So ironically... From sitting in that tractor yeah. as a little girl and wanting to be Merrick and Rosso, I was going to work with them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was pretty nervous on that first day. Okay. Um, and my job was to be in the studio at 4 or 5 a.m., be there for the whole show, capture everything that happened. So mm-hmm. I guess this is where the lastminute.com theatre stuff came mm-hmm. into play. I guess having been, been around celebrities a bit, knowing how they work and stuff. Um, and the egos involved with that probably was helpful. Okay. It looked helpful. Okay. Um, I think I probably looked on paper more more skilled than I probably was, right. especially in the video side of things. Yeah. Um, but you just learn pretty quickly when you mm-hmm. have to. Radio is so fast-paced. Mm. The egos are huge mm. with the presenters. And the hours are crazy. I remember Michael Jackson died. Um, it was a couple of weeks after I'd just started. Mm-hmm. And I remember making part of the job was to make banners and things and move everything around on the website um, and to to connect what um, the content that the presenters were producing as the show happened with the outside world. And they didn't really want to do that at the time. It wasn't – they were all about on-air. What is on-air is what's happening. That's what we want with the listeners. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until they realised how many more people were consuming this content they were producing through social media and yeah. also that immediate back and forth mm. um, interaction you can have until you stoke their egos with that. Then they realised how effective it was, but it was a real battle. But yes, Michael Jackson died. And I remember getting, we'd get the news feeds in um, and the news team would have the news feeds. And I remember remember making a banner that, that had um, something along the lines of, you know, RIP Michael Jackson, mm. um, whatever year that was to whatever year um, he died. And I couldn't put it live until we were 110% sure that he had died because, you know, you get, of course. You, get this, you didn't want to be the one who messed up and um, put it up, put it up if it hadn't happened. Yeah. Um, 
And I just remember kind of big events like that felt bigger because you were there in them and it was affecting you. Yeah. Even, even a roundabout way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, was bizarre. Okay, so how long were you at Nova for? I was at Nova for about a year and a half. And during that time, I worked on the breakfast show. Mm-hmm. And then the afternoon show and particularly the night show, mm-hmm. um, they were they were really savvy with the digital stuff. Mm-hmm. And they wanted I, – I call my – I basically now these days say I was a web bitch. So they wanted a web bitch too. Yeah. But there was no one else to be a web bitch for them. So I really liked them. They were actually a lot easier to get on with um, than the breakfast presenters okay. because their egos weren't, weren't quite so big at that mm-hmm. stage. So I'd stay back and I'd help them. I was so tired. But I had no family there. I had, had, so I had some friends, but the friends were on a different well, body clock than me at that time. I bet they were. So the presenters were kind of – the radio presenters were, were on a similar – time zone mm-hmm. um and also it was a really surreal world you were mm. i don't know commercial radios i'll write a book about it one day it's and it's probably going to be called web bitch um it was surreal you'd get a memo i remember this is one of my first days you get a memo first thing in the morning and all office memo and it to say attention all staff um please keep hallway between studio one and four free today rosso will be piggybacking a naked man through the building <laughs> and you'd, you'd get into work to this stuff, and it was normal. That was normality. <laughs> or, um, Ricky Lee uh, will be burning her wedding dress on top of the building today, please. You know, stay away if you smell anything. Um, and that, that, I remember the smoke from that went all through the building. Oh it was horrible. Um, Katy Perry coming through, you know, just, just weird things. Yeah. You never knew who you'd bump into in the yeah. elevators, and you just had to, you had to keep it together. It was so bizarre. Yeah. I'll never work anywhere like that again, I don't think. But it was interesting because in in those in, in that year and a half, the presenters are so big mm. in their personalities. Mm. And everyone who works in that kind of commercial radio world is probably the same in television. I've not worked in television, but everyone's personalities are huge. Mm. And the way I describe it is, you know in The Little Mermaid when Ursula steals her voice? It was like... Ursula had stolen my voice in that period and I remember being in the studio and they'd be talking about um, just anecdotal things that had been happening that they were going to talk about on air and I'd have a really good story that could tie into that and relate to that but for whatever reason my self-confidence it just wasn't there and I couldn't voice I couldn't voice any of that and I think that's how I realized I didn't want to work in commercial radio okay yeah where were you looking after that then, if you were reacting to that? I was looking back to Adelaide. Okay. Um, when I left, or pre- even before I left London, I couldn't physically come back to Adelaide because, and it wasn't physically, it was mentally. I couldn't mm. mentally come back to Adelaide because I looked at it as a step backwards okay. and I was I was failing by coming back. Yeah. I was so wrong. Mm. I know that now. I wish... I wish I'd cottoned onto that earlier because I could have come back. I would have come back earlier. Mm. I love it here. Mm. Um, the opportunities that that I've had here have been amazing. And just the sense of home, I think, is a really important one. Yeah. And I spent I spent a good, what, 15, even more years kind of chasing something. And it was this job or this position or this sense of fulfilment mm. through work mm that actually I've had 
just through coming back to where I belong and enjoying simple things. Yeah. Yeah, it's taken me a long it's taken me thirty six years to realise that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just for everybody else who's having that experience. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. Exactly. I think it's common. The the answer isn't necessarily on the other side of the globe. But I don't know, I think I think I think chasing it is the things you learn along the way. Mm. Um and it's really bloody hard mm. um, to, to leave all your support networks behind, but I, I think it's it's so beneficial. Yeah, to see how other how other far away far away places work. Mm. Um, what did you come back to when you did find um, something? There was a job at the Adelaide Magazine. Yeah, it was features writer, staff writer, basically, mm-hmm. and I just saw it and I thought that is the job that will get me back to Adelaide. Okay. That is the reason I will go back to Adelaide. Nice. And it was between my, – I applied and it was between myself and another um, another woman who was from here and I think had worked within the company. And I remember coming over for the interview and my my old editor was – his name's Jim Plouffe and he's a big Canadian and um, says it how it is. And he said, oh, look – I don't know, it's between you and another, and I can't do a Canadian Canadian accent, but <laughs> imagine it. Um, it's yep. between you and another another girl and um, he said, oh, your, your digital experience might work against you. This is how new digital stuff was. Uh, literally within six months of starting there, it's, it's when um, the whole online thing kind of mm. boomed and they grabbed every inch of digital experience. They literally talk about Ursula pulling the voice out. It was like Ursula pulling your digital experience out. <laughs> if I ended up doing a load of different jobs there, but it was just because of having yeah. my skills. Yeah. Um, but I got it and I'd done writing. I'd done the column. I'd, done, mm. I'd never stopped writing, always mm. for free, but never stopped writing. But that was the first time... I had to really pay attention to little things like fact-checking and putting features together. I'd never really properly done that before in that sense and that's when I realised, oh, my gosh, this this is it. This is what, I, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Um, and working on a big, brutal editorial floor at the Advertiser, it was... Um, really eye-opening yeah we were we were in a corner in the magazine kind of heaven zone I call it but the Adelaide mag was shut down would have been a couple of years after I started and then we um we were pulled into SA weekend magazine which is the weekly yeah um and our sections and feature writing was was put into that Mm -hmm. and then that was at a time when the 24-hour newsroom was coming in so we had to do – that's when I started having to do night shifts yeah. and weekend shifts. And you just don't argue, you do it. Mm. Um, and on those shifts, you could be tapped on the shoulder to do anything. Um, so that was quite a – that was quite a harsh awakening in terms of, you know, writing about politics or I had to stake out Julia Gillard's mother's retirement village for a day after shock jock Alan Jones, I think it was. Of course. Um, said something about her father who had passed away. Yeah. Rolling over in his grave. I in remember the it. You remember? Yeah. So myself and a young photographer had to go and stake out her retirement village for the day and they, they said, sneak in there. And then they rang and said, don't sneak in there. We've just had a journal in trouble for doing something very similar recently. And that was the first time my moral compass kind of swung in the wrong direction because okay. I didn't want to do it. No. I didn't want to hassle this lovely old lady um when her husband's 
passed away yeah. for a quote. Like it just, it didn't sit with me. Um, I didn't want to sneak in there. I didn't want to throw myself at her windscreen um, to get that quote, yeah. which, you know, often um, in that position, you, if you don't come back with the quote, you may as well not come back at all. And that's kind of what you're told. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was a bit of a, an eye-opener. Mm. Um but daily deadlines, um, there's nothing like it. There's no, I was, I never looked at the clock the whole time I worked at the advertiser, which was about seven years. I was never bored, but I was very anxious. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. But it didn't sort of kill that desire to keep writing? Not to keep writing. I think it killed the, the news, um, the news reporting side. Um, not that I'd ever really had a burning desire to do news reporting, but that that's just kind of what what you're thrown into there mm. um it worked but it taught me a lot it did mm. it did teach me a lot it, it taught me a lot about going out and having to get the story and you can't be shy you just you have to go in there and you have to talk to people mm-hmm. yeah how and why did you decide to leave in the end I burnt out I think mm. I was doing essay weekend magazine as well as looking after uh, the food and wine website called The Source yep. and doing the some of the daily stuff as well and the, the weekend shifts. And I think mm-hmm. it just – it was time. Mm. Seven years is the longest I've ever stayed in a job. And my gut started talking to me again. It, started, it just started telling me and I just couldn't ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where did you go? I went to Broadsheet. So okay. Broadsheet, um, for anyone listening that doesn't know about them, is uh, a national um, – digital kind of publication um, that has a real focus on uh, food, lifestyle, wine, um, and really, really good quality writing. Mm. Um, They don't cut corners. They don't publish anything just for the sake of it. They don't chase clicks. They don't do any, they don't write about restaurants because they're paid to. They do it only because they genuinely recommend that people should go there. Mm-hmm. And they were launching in Adelaide. So mm-hmm. they got in touch with me and um, kind of sussed out if I'd be interested in being editor there. Is it that was... your second poaching? Yeah. 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 It's nice to be poached. Yeah. It's really – it's much easier to leave a job when you've got something else to go to. Yes, absolutely. Even though it was a massive pay cut massive pay cut Mm. it was three days a week and but I thought oh look I'll do three days a week and then I can spend two days at least doing creative things and freelancing but like with any new job it it kind of and a digital one as well it did it ended up being more than that uh and I remember quitting and I remember handing in my notice and getting quite upset and I remember my, my my big boss saying why would you go to lesser money and I just said look I don't expect you to understand because you're a businessman Mm. and driven only by creativity mm. I just have to do this mm. what did you have to give up taking a pay cut like that I moved home to live with my mum this was at the age of the tender age of what would I have been 34 <laughs> I was well into my 30s yeah um and when I came back to Adelaide I did that as well mm. I was like, oh god okay. <laughs> I need space did your mum live close enough for you to be able to do the work easily? My mum lives in Moana, so that's, <laughs> that's almost the current Yeah. So it was a good – and she had no Wi-Fi, so I learnt a few hard lessons there. When you work for a big corporation, they pay for things, you know. You have internet and you have 
basic expenses paid. Yeah. I got a $5,000 um, data bill in my first month working for Broadsheet because oh, I'd been using my little dongle. Of course. Um, and every time photographers, because I manage the photographers as well, every time they filed their photos, it just churned through my data. Of course. I had no oh my idea. God. Right. Okay. Steep learning curve there. Life, life skills are not my strong point. <laughs> Opening bills, doing tax, anything involving numbers. I don't know. I could probably blame one side of my brain, but, you know, yeah. it's probably just the fact that I don't like doing it. Um, <laughs> so what kind of work were you doing for Broadsheet? Um, so I was their editor. So uh, commissioning stories, mm-hmm. writing stories um, and some features nice. uh, and working with um, the national editorial director and the other new editors in each state mm. um, to to launch a new beast in yeah. Adelaide, really. I mean, it, they're very big in Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. Very, very big. They've got a great following. So it was, I guess, trying to expose Adelaide to what okay. they do. Yeah. Anyone in HOSPO knew what they do, but it was about kind of, I guess, trying to build that reputation mm. in um, on, the, on local turf. Did you enjoy that? I loved it. Yeah, it's sort of starting from scratch in a way. It was. And I've never worked with such a... To this day, I've never worked with such a stringent attention to detail, no cutting corners, mm. brutal feedback um, editorial team. Mm. Your work went through multiple uh, sub-editor, editor, back again. Really, really brutal. And it, it taught me to write. It taught me to be a better writer yeah. and also to edit other people's work in a not an unapologetic way but to know that an editor doesn't change or ask for changes in work to make that work worse. It is always to make it better. Yeah. And I guess they they taught me taught me that. Mm. Yeah. How big was the team starting out? Here mm. in Adelaide. It was just me. <laughs> just me and my laptop working from cafes. Three I thought I was Carrie Bradshaw. Okay, <laughs> my $5,000 data bill. Um, <laughs> and then we had a team of... Um, contributors we call them that, that we build up so okay. writers and photographers yeah. um who yeah who also I think learned a lot from from working for them so you were the staple person in state then yeah. wow yeah that's a big load it was yeah it Did was you feel like you built something you were proud of definitely yeah. and it was really hard to leave there but mm. in the end it was okay it was two it was it was two things it was part financial mm. I was still living at home with mum for how long Eight months I was with Broadsheet. And then it was part love story. So the ex-fiancé in London was moving to Chicago and we'd rekindled. We decided to give it another shot. Mm -hmm. And so I went and spent a month in Chicago to be with him and see if it would work out. Mm. And uh, it just, yeah, it just didn't. And the opportunity to go and live with him over there um, on secondment was, it was really tempting and he said you know I'll look after you you don't need to work you can just write whatever you want and be creative and those aren't words you hear very often no but I just knew that wasn't my story Mm. and my path and you know what I'll probably kick myself till the day I die but it's just not it's not how it was meant to be for me yeah there's a real fear when you feel that you're being offered something like that in giving it up, mm. in admitting that you can't make it work because you can't, uh, whatever you, whatever piece is missing for you, you can't kind of, you can't make that up. Yeah. So you came back from Chicago. Had you left Broadsheet? I told them, 
I told them that that's I was probably going to go to Chicago, right. and it was in the it was in the aftermath of that that actually I decided I can't I can't go to Chicago. But mm. I'd I'd already told them and had you know we were looking for someone else to replace me, okay. and she is fabulous. She was actually a work experience student with me back wow. at the Adelaide Mag. Wow! And I always tell work experience people that come through even even now. Just do great work and don't be a dickhead and you never know where it might lead. Yeah. Just be just be a nice person, yeah. work hard, mm. be proactive. Um, and I've had a couple of former interns who one works with me now as my deputy editor mm-hmm. and Danny now is editor of Broadsheet and she is a powerhouse. Yeah, That's it's a possible. Great story. It is possible. Did you, um, where did you go after? Well, well, I came back and I was freelancing for yeah. New Style Media, which is... Yeah. where I work now, yeah. and um, I was just doing some free feature writing for them mm-hmm. and they created a job for me. So nice. it worked out well. Yeah. And I still write for Broadsheet, so yeah. just on the side. Yeah, still have that finger in that Broadsheet pie that I adore and respect and now editor at Fritz. Yeah. So tell me about that. How long have you been editing Fritz? Um, I have done two full issues, two and a half we're just about to print the second full issue mm-hmm. that's been my kind of baby. Mm-hmm. When I started there, um, the editor was Sky Harrison, um, who is another powerhouse woman who I just adore and have been so lucky to work alongside. She's a very just holistic, she's purely led by or guided by integrity, does everything from the heart, very smart lady. So when they offered me the job, um, that was pretty much one of the main reasons I, I took that on. Yeah. And also it was feature writing about great people. Yeah. Um, and when I took the job, Fritz didn't even exist. It was they had um, Aspire, um, Barossa Living, a magazine called Nest, and Wine Business Magazine, mm-hmm. which I still write for. So I came in and four of those magazines stopped and they decided to launch Fritz. So rather than having little niche Adelaide Hills-focused um, mag mm. they decided to roll it all into one put mm. all our resource into one and it was I guess a calculated risk yeah um, and and Fritz is a much bigger much bigger circulation and statewide so we didn't just have to write about certain areas yeah okay um, with quite a big digital presence a testament to you to put you at the helm of that gamble well Sky left um, after so we've, we've done about half and half so she did the first lot and launch the baby and then she did that very brave thing where she decided to go off and pursue her own creative dreams which is a really hard thing to do yeah um and they were really big shoes to step into yeah yeah and so so yeah two and a half issues in um and I've learned a lot I I didn't want to take the role but I just wanted to write I didn't really want to manage people yeah and that's still I find that difficult managing managing people and and managing the advertising versus the editorial side of things I really struggle with yeah right um but I I don't think I've ever worked for publication where that hasn't been you know an issue so it's just reality yeah yeah in this role that you're in now what kind of a what does your life look like what does your day look like what sort of a lifestyle does it afford you see these bags under my eyes <laughs> the last two meetings I've had to cancel at the moment it's really it's full on at the moment mm. um it's kind of the perfect storm of 
we write in magazine production, which mm. never ends. Um, since starting, we, we also launched a national travel magazine, which mm. is even bigger than Fritz, and I'm the editor of that one as well. So it's, it's when there's not one magazine in production, it's the other one. Right. And because that's a travel mag, it does involve a lot of travel, which is kind of a dream. You know, we travel um, throughout Australia. We collect stories about campers and caravanners and holidaymakers and places, and we bring them back and produce a mag Mm. um so eternally tired (laughs) eternally stressed eternally creatively buzzing Mm. eternally I have an excuse to talk to great people all the time which is can be a problem because I never can turn that off I can't Mm. even sit at a bus stop without interviewing people yeah but that's part of the beauty of the beast I guess yeah Yeah, honestly like very just very tired at the moment Mm. um and I'm still trying to work out how to balance that. Yeah. And I think it's partly it's it's having a small team, a small and really dedicated team. But then, you know, we all have to really pull our weight. And I tell them daily, you know, we we pull our weight. No one doesn't because there's no one to pick up the slack and we yeah. really adore each other. Yeah. It's a really close-knit team. So um, you don't want to be the one that leaves a workmate kind of struggling to make up extra work or whatever yeah everyone's very good at what they do so Mm. we kind of just get on and do it Mm. yeah is there anything that I have missed that you feel like is pertinent to your your story story? yeah yeah it's probably a big thing um (laughs) no but you would never you would never guess it okay you would never guess it shame on me um so, and you can put this in if you want or not. Okay. I don't know. It's kind of up to you. So there, there's been like an ongoing link throughout my life that has, I guess, affected the ebbs and flows of, of my work-life balance mm-hmm. um, and also confidence in dealing with stress. And it started when I left um, the farm mm-hmm. to go to high school. So I developed an eating disorder mm-hmm. then. And I can pin it to the day that I found out I was leaving. And it was something that I never spoke about, only my close friends knew, and even my family didn't know till London. My sister picked up on it. The reason I talk about it is because it was a poignant turning point in my career as a writer, I think. It was about three years into working at SA Weekend magazine, and I got to the point where I was telling all these amazing stories where people were opening up to me about their life and I always look at it as a real as a gift like it's when someone tells you their story it's such a gift and an honor Mm. to then retell that not only using their voice but in a way that captures it in whether it's two pages or four pages or a paragraph or an hour-long interview audio interview and I started feeling like like a bit of a hypocrite Mm. Because these people were telling me these amazing stories about their hardships and their highs and their lows and um, their struggles. And here I was keeping my biggest, the biggest struggle of my life hidden and a secret. And I'd been connected with a support group that helps not just young people, who helps people. Um, and they were, they're a former group, South Australian called it DASA. And they came to me and they said, oh, look, they were losing their funding and they were going to have to shut down. Mm-hmm. And all these people um, that they were helping would, wouldn't have that resource. And they said, oh, is there some kind of story you can do? How can we how can we spread the word about this? And I sat on it. And this story was in me. It's been in me since, well, since London, I guess, when it was in Germany, when it was particularly bad. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, one day when I'm better, 
I'm going to tell this story and I'm, it's going to help people because mm. this horrible beast of a thing that I've carried my whole life, there had to be some good to come out of it. Mm. And I, I kind of thought that maybe that's what it was. And I, I tackled this story, but I couldn't tell it without being a hypocrite, without being honest about my own struggles with bulimia. Um, we found a wonderful case study, a gorgeous young girl who um, uh, was battling anorexia and she told me her story and through it I told my story. It is the hardest story I've ever written in my life. I didn't even tell my editor I was doing it because I, I kind of thought I might I might pull out. Yeah. It might be too difficult. Yeah. And it was a very hard piece to write. I put it on his desk and then I just walked away. I didn't even say Roy Eccleston, his name is wonderful editor of Essay Weekend Mag. I didn't even tell him what it was. I just put it down and I just, I had to walk out the building. Yeah. I had to go. And it takes him a while sometimes to read your copy. Mm. So I think like a day and a half, almost two days had passed and I thought, oh my God, he hates it. I've, d- I've made a massive mistake. I'm going to get called up to HR. They're going to fire me because I'm weak. I've, I've let this secret out. I'm weak. And long story short, um, he came up to my desk and he said, are you sure? He said, this, this is an amazing piece, but are you sure? Um, and most people I told prior prior to it going to print said, are you sure? And there were some senior kind of journalists in there who I respected, are you sure? And I did wonder how it might affect my career, but it had the opposite effect. I got so much strength from it and I was really scared the day the publication came out because the editor decided not only to run the feature in SA Weekend magazine, he pulled a like a portrait shot of me and it was like on page three or something with a... Oh, I can't even remember the headline and I wow. nearly, I was mortified. But I thought, right, you've committed, you just yeah. got to ride this storm through. Yeah. And it wasn't a storm at all. Some people didn't, some people didn't know what to say to me, so they didn't say anything. Everyone else was fantastic. And I think it made me a better writer because uh, for once I had to, I had to lay myself down like a lamb to slaughter rather than other people doing that for me and me yeah. being able to tell their story. So that's the, that's the, the one other I guess milestone in the in the career, and I hope I never have to write a story like that again. <laughs> but it helped people, and yeah. a lot of people reached out, and that at the end of the day was the reason the reason to do it. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Pleasure. Well done. If you know a human I should be talking to, reach out on our Facebook or Instagram. Also, go ahead and do this if you have any questions for me or Katie. And while you're there, like and follow and rate us. As usual, you can head over to our Instagram for a little extra video content, which is also good if you're the kind of person who likes to see the face of the person you're listening to. Next week is our off week, so we'll be talking about what we're reading and what we're watching and those bigger issues that Katie talks about in the episode. Our next episode is in a fortnight. Until then, I've been Saren Bell. This has been Gate Close Panic. I will see you soon.